0: You're listening to Hebrews, Jesus is Better series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. We've been talking about faith. so Let me just read verse number 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, we again made mention last week that this is not a definition of faith. Faith is trust, it's belief, it's confidence. This now is a description, as we'll work our way through, of what faith looks like as people take seriously the Word of God. So we gave you a definition last week, um, sort of concise, but I think it makes the point. That faith confidently lays hold on God's promises in such a way that we build our lives on those promises. Okay? So, so my belief, I, I lay hold on what God has said in such a way that I don't just say I believe, but my, my life now lines up with what I just said that I believe. J. Oswald Sanders says this, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. And so now we come to chapter 11, and we will see how this faith operates, the fruit of faith, the fruit of believing, and basing our lives on the Word. And I want you to notice that as we go through this chapter, um, the, the writer, the preacher, is going to use stories, story after story after story, Um, To make his point, and I would submit to you this morning, we, again, must go back to being storytellers. Your family, my family, they need to hear the stories of our homes, and how we met, and and how we have overcome, and, and how we have faced difficulties. And they should hear them over and over again to the point where they can lip them as you're saying them. Because stories are powerful. Stories make us connect with one another. They give us identity, and we do it in the church. We come together, and we tell our story of how we have been redeemed. One of the great blessings that I have is when people come into the church, and we interview them. They tell us how they came to Christ. They tell their story. And everyone is so different, but all are so glorious. It's exciting to hear what God has done in their life to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ, And so the writer will do the same. He gives them a sense of connectedness, a sense of community, a sense of identity. He tells the story. And in telling these stories, he wants to inspire this beleaguered group of believers who are struggling, as well as us, by their stories of faith, to say, you can, in essence, live the same faith-filled life. And so we will see men and women who act as they do because of their full conviction concerning the the reality of God and His promises. And again, I'm fully aware this morning that as we talk about such faith and God's Word, that from the world's perspective, the conduct that we will see this morning and the conduct that we will see throughout this chapter and the conduct that people should see in our lives, oftentimes from the world's perspective, looks rash and unjustifiable, but... It is the reality of the unseen. And that's where we're headed this morning. So look with me, if you would, at verse number two. For by it, this faith, the elders obtained a good report that they were commended. We live in a world today, more than any other time, that everyone, everywhere, at all times, they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for someone to agree with them. They're looking for how many likes they have on their Facebook page or how many followers they have on their social media, and they want to be accepted, and they'll do anything to be accepted. It's amazing what you see on social media today. Um, My life has changed over the last several years, and Kim and I, as we talk now, our conversations are usually consumed with two topics. Number one, grandbabies. And number two, puppies. And so I know those that know me think, who are you? What have you become? And I don't even know anymore. I really don't know anymore. But we were talking about this puppy, and so Kim is really good at doing research about the puppy before we got it, and she was checking out, is it a good idea to crate puppies? And, and if you have different opinions this morning, that's great. Just listen, and we can argue afterwards. But, but as she looked and watched the feed underneath this, you would not believe how angry people became about others who crated puppies. They're dogs. It's like, you're a monster. You're not even human. And it went on and on and on. And I just thought to myself, oh, I long for the days that we could have opinions where people didn't have to troll them. They weren't mean and angry. It's like, hey, go get a life, man. It's just a puppy in a crate. It really doesn't matter. But everyone wants approval. Everyone is seeking everyone to like what they do. And the fact of the matter in this world is impossible. If you're going to live a life that you want everyone to approve of you and send you thumbs up every time you do something, you're not living in reality, especially for the believer. And for these saints, they lived a life, such a life, that God approved of their faith, which found expression in their obedient faithfulness. God approves of people who live by faith. And if you're going to play the acceptance game, in the end, the only person that matters who knows your name and accepts you is God. And that's it. That's it. And so here are people who understood the truth of this, that in the end, all that matters in anyone's life is that the God of heaven himself accepts and honors and approves of the life they have lived. That is ultimate and the only approval. That matters. And so he continues now, and we're not into the stories yet. He gives an illustration here in verse number 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And again, I'm just going to prove my point about being consumed with talking about puppies and babies. Uh, We have four granddaughters. If you don't know, you'll know every week that I preach, probably. And we love them all, and the three oldest ones now they're all developing their own personalities, their own traits. They're, they're as different as night from day, every, every one of them. It's amazing to watch it. So Greg and Becca now are training Wren with these little catechisms, right, just to, to truth at, at two years old. And so they, they, Becca had her the other day and said, Wren, um, who made the world? And Wren said, God. That's good. Who made you? And Wren said, God. And they said, who made the trees and the flowers and the plants? And Wren said, God. And then without any prompting, Wren looked at her mom and said, good job, God. She's <laughs> smart little girl, she is. Her father was an atheist when he was younger. His daughter is a theologian. Good job, God. And the writer is taking the creation model and making it similar to faith. The unseen reality that what was prior to what we now see, everything we see, came from the word of God when he spoke and created and framed the world out of nothing. And the point is, and we've got to grab this today, the point is, this is the power of God. That in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him. And without Him, Jesus Christ was not anything made that was made. Colossians goes on to tell us that He made everything, and by Him all things consist and hold together. The power of the Word of God to say, let there be light, and it explodes. And everything we see and experience today came from the Word of God that was unseen. And this is the point. And as we live our lives, we must remember that this is the truth that we're clinging to, that this very word of God, in all of its power, can be trusted. And we can build our lives on it, without reservation, without apology. And so, he goes now and starts to begin about those who believe God in such a way that they built their life upon his words. The first example in the story now is Abel. Look at verse number 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. We see the commitment to the reality of God and the absolute character of his claims, whatever he says is true, in the area of Abel when it comes to worship. Worship. Now notice, both... Cain and Abel, and we won't go back to Genesis 4, but it's worth a look sometime this week. Both Cain and Abel were religious men. Both of them. And and they must have known right the story from their parents. Adam and Eve would have told them of the fall of understanding that they, they believed at the time that they could create their own reality, that God was some kind of uh, joy kill, to keep them under his thumb, that he was just withholding this knowledge and they could be as gods. They believed the lie, plunged the world into chaos, and they were sentenced to death. They deserve to die. And yet, God in his grace takes the innocence and, and covers the guilty. And Cain and Abel would have known that. And as you read the text in, in Genesis 4, it seems like, They've seen this before, they understand this, and they came to a time when they were both supposed to make sacrifices. Now listen, humanly speaking, when you think about, and you can picture this, here is Abel's sacrifice. It is bloody. It, it is gory. It, it is not appealing. Especially to a Western culture that we think our food comes from Sobeys. There's a place that's before Sobe's, just so that you know. Right? But, but to look at that, And then you look at Cain's offering. And listen, I have seen beautiful fruit baskets. I won't won't plug um, stands right now, but I've seen beautiful fruit baskets, and it's beautiful. Can you imagine? Here is Cain working with his hand, laboring, toiling, and bringing this offering that looked to the human eye, beautiful and appealing. And yet the Bible says, as God looked at these offerings, he accepted Abel's but had no regard for Cain's. And this is just a side note. The Bible doesn't tell us how both Cain and Abel, possibly twins, standing there together with their offerings, how they knew the one was accepted and the other was not. But many scholars believe that during this time, that the the way an offering was accepted by God was it was consumed by fire from heaven. And I think there's truth to this. We see that when Aaron makes a sacrifice, When the law comes into play, we see it for Gideon, who makes a sacrifice, consumed by fire. We see it for Solomon in the temple, consumed by fire. And then, of course, the story of Elijah. And this makes really good sense when you understand what happens when when both Cain and Abel are standing there. And Cain, now, his countenance falls, and he's angry. Can you imagine? And brothers understand the rivalry here. Here's Abel, makes this offering. Here's Cain, they're both standing there. God, here's your gift. And then fire comes down, boo, it's consumed. And, and Abel sees it, and Cain sees it, and Cain's standing, waiting for his to be consumed. And crickets. And crickets. And crickets. Have, I, I don't know if this has happened for you, but have you ever given someone a gift, and when you gave them the gift, they just disregarded it? Like, hey, thanks, and they threw it on a pile of a bunch of other gifts? Uh, when our kids were younger, my mom would go crazy with Christmas, to where I hated it. Like, they would have so many gifts, it was disgusting. And it got to the point where they'd open a gift, and they'd throw it to the side. Open a gift, throw it to the side. They didn't care. There were more coming. Here was a gift that Cain brought, and it was discarded. And now he's embarrassed, humiliated, devastated, and angry. He's angry. And I want you to notice, and we're not in Genesis, but you know the story, God's grace. God comes to Cain and says, hey, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you'll be accepted. And it's it's, he's saying, hey, you blew it this time. You know what I said. He must have, because he said, if you do well, you know what well is. You know what I asked for. You know what I want. And if you were to do well, you would be accepted, Cain. What grace by God to say to him. Turn, repent, do right. And if you don't, sin is like a wild animal crouching at a door to consume you. We see God's grace in his reasoning with him. Cain, do right. Cain, I'm trying to talk you out of sin. Can you imagine? One writer said that Eve had to be talked into sin and Cain would not be talked out of it. He would not. So the first murderer produces the first martyr. And Abel dies. Faith believing, this is what God said, this is what he wants, this is acceptable, and it was accepted, and yet he dies. And the writer of Hebrews says that Abel's faith still speaks today. He believed God, he came to God, and he did it God's way. My friend this morning, listen to me. It does not matter one ounce what you think about what God should do in the area of salvation at all. Well, I think it makes sense to me. This is what I would do if I'm just good, if I just give, if I just join a church, if I'm just faithful in community or to my family. That should be good enough. My friend, that's not real faith. Faith said, God said, there is only one way to come. It's not through a church. It's not through religion. It's not through your own way or your works. It's through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who died for your sins. He is the one that stepped into our place when the wrath of God should fall upon our heads for our sin and our wickedness. Jesus Christ stepped into our place. And what a disdain for the sacrifice of Christ when we say Jesus plus or Jesus minus. And God says, no, there is only one way and it's not the way of Cain. That's that's a literal phrase from the book of Jude, verse number 11, where he talks about people who pervert the grace of God. And they say, well, I will do this and I will do that. And God says, no, it has been done. It is finished. It is through Jesus Christ That's the faith of Abel. It came in light of his worship. And this morning, listen to me. If you don't know Christ, don't think for a moment that you can do it your way in the way of Cain. It will not work. That sacrifice will not be accepted. But we as well as believers this morning who have come to Jesus, we too are to worship as he has called us to worship. We have no right to come up with our own ideas or our own ways. Look at John chapter 4 this morning. Jesus is speaking, of course, as a Samaritan woman. And he says, But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Believer, we are called to hear what God says, and as we hear it, we then worship in spirit and truth, not in flesh in our own way. It's amazing that the God of heaven says, I am seeking people like this. That the God of heaven longs to fellowship with his people, but he fellowships with his people when they come his way. His way. We must be worshipers. And so we see that in the life of Abel. His faith produced worship. Here's the next story, verses 5 through 6. It's the story of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him, or before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In the life of Enoch, we see his commitment to the reality of God and the absolute character of his claims in the area of his walk, his lifestyle. His faith affected how he lived. It's amazing, the writer of Hebrews talks about his walk, and he equates it as pleasing God. Let me just read for you the the account in Genesis chapter 5. I I love how it's written here. He says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. (laughs) He was not. He was translated. He was conveyed to another realm. My pastor that I, I grew up under, Roy Thompson, who's long been gone, he used to talk about Enoch, and he said, I just envision Enoch's story after reading Genesis going something like this. Here was Enoch, his, his entire life, who looked and longed for fellowshipping with the God of heaven, who walked in his way. And one night they're talking and walking and enjoying one another. It's getting late in the day, and, and God says to Enoch, Enoch, we're closer to my place than yours. How about you just come home with me tonight? And I like that. And I, I, and I like to think that's true. I don't know if that sounds good to me. Enoch, you've been walking with me for 300 years. Come home. You say, what's the big deal with faith? What what does that have to do with anything? So what? He walked with God. Well, I'm glad you asked. The word walk means to agree with. Can two walk together except they agree? And when you walk with someone, you are pointing the same direction, going the same pace, and going to the same place. And so, by faith, here is a man who is walking with God. And, And the reason it's so important is because Even that passage in chapter 5 of Genesis signifies that that's not what everyone was doing. It stands out glaring that not everyone was walking with God. The same priority, the same pace, the same place, that was not happening. And not only that, Enoch's generations and culture was wicked. So wicked that in a moment we're going to be introduced to Noah and Noah's not a cute little story about a big ark full of furry animals. The story of Noah is about tremendous judgment and wrath. And so here is a man who is walking with God in the midst of a culture that wants to sweep him away. It has been said that few great men finish well. Few great women finish well. If you've been following any news over the last couple months, we have seen the fall of what we thought to be great men. Few great men and women finish well. And Here's a reminder for all of us today that no one is beyond falling in sin, and that's why we don't elevate pastors and teachers to positions of worship the best of men are at, our, at, our at best men. You understand that? And that's why it's so important, if I may be so bold, to say that the local church is important. That guy doesn't see you nor know you or care about you. Right? In a local assembly, listen, you know how stupid I am, and I know how stupid you are. And we see each other. We interact with each other. We are accountable to one another. We can approach one another. That's the way it's supposed to go. And so you say, here is Enoch, his faith. We can't be faithful for 60 years. And yet here's a man in his culture for 300 plus years is walking with God. God said, this is the way, walk in it. And what he did was to walk in it. Christian this morning. Do you know what we need to do to slow down, to go backwards, or to be completely swept away in our Christian faith? Think for a minute. Do you know what we need to do to go backwards, to slow down, or to be swept away by our culture? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Drifting is the easiest thing that we do. And Christianity is like riding a bike. You pedal and you pedal and it's flowing. But when you stop pedaling, oh, it'll coast for a while. But it's a matter of time before that bike crashes. We never, ever drift into holiness. Ever. And my friend this morning, listen to me. We are in a culture that is no friend to grace. None. Quit your delusion about a Christian nation I don't know what world you're living in. We have a government today that cannot even say that China is committing human rights violations. We we live in a society today that our culture indoctrinates our elementary children on sexuality. And if you bat an eye or say a word, you become intolerant and marginalized. We literally today live in a culture where good is evil and evil is good. That's where we're at today. And and listen, even the things that we think are innocuous and don't matter. I watched the Super Bowl. It was on a Sunday night. We didn't have services. So don't worry about it. I didn't miss anything. And I was was shocked as I finally listened to the, the message being given through all the commercials. You deserve to be happy. You deserve more. You should have more. You won't be satisfied until you get over and over again. And we hear that. You're the best. You're the greatest. You're what it's all about. You're the center of the universe. My friend, listen to me. That's not Bible. That's not Christianity. That's worldliness. And we live in this culture, and we're swimming in it, and most of us don't even know it. Here's a man who walks with God by faith. God, you said this. My culture is going to hell in a handbasket and yet I will walk with you. How did he do that for 300 years? Well, verse 6 tells us. He believed that God existed and that he would reward him. Now listen to me. That sounds so simplistic, does it not? If I were to say to you as a Christian this morning, do you believe that God exists and that he will reward you? We would say, yes. It's like the Jesus Sunday school answer. What's the right answer? Jesus? You got, you know, a 50-50 chance of it being right. But Here's the problem. When we say we believe something, according to the word of God in faith, belief says, I am laying hold on this to such a point that I will, I will move my life, I will build my life on what it says. So we can sit here this morning in the comfort of our little church and say, yes, I believe that God will reward me and, and he exists and that's all great. But what happens on Monday. When I was a kid, and I say a kid, I was 20 years old, and that is a kid. Now, for me, a kid is 30, 35, and 40, right? It keeps, I don't know what's happening to these kids. They're getting older uh, as time goes on. But I read a pamphlet um, that was really popular in 1988. How many of you were not born? You were not born in 1988. Can I see your hands? Um, yeah, okay. The, the crowd earlier, I didn't have to raise their hand, but they're even younger than that. So in 1988, a book came out that said this, a little booklet, 88 Reasons why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Anybody read that book? Anybody see that? No? Okay, it was really huge. And there were 88 reasons why the rapture would happen in September, the Feast of Trumpets, between September 11th and 13th. I was 20 years old. I just got out of the service. I was working for my father-in-law painting homes. And on a lunch break, I was reading this book, almost done with it. And it was, it was, it was really intriguing. I mean, they had lots of answers, like Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters in each name, 666. Six, six. And then there was Gorbachev, had a spot on his head. I don't know if you remember Gorbachev, right? No, and it all made sense. It's like, yes, this is true, this is right. So I'm reading the book, almost finished, and a guy named Steve says, hey, Rick, what are you reading? I told him, he said, and I told him, what, well, I told him, he said, do you believe that? So I I don't know, I guess that could happen. I mean, there's lots of, evidence. 88 reasons. I mean, 88 reasons here. Oh, and spoiler alert. It didn't happen. This is you. If you're thinking I should get that book, don't. No, it's 1988, right? Um, it, and that's why. Listen to me. Listen. Be careful. Everybody wants to believe everything, right? The mark of the beast. The scripture was given to us not to open our newspapers. And the scripture was given us to know that we're victorious in all of this, in all of it, all of it. So he said, "Do you believe?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "No, do you really believe that?" I said, "You know what? Yeah, I, I believe." And this was August of 1988. I believe that. And so he had pushed me. and said, yeah, I believe. Sure, that could happen. And then he said to me, no, you don't. And I was mad. Because he just got me to say I do. And now he said I don't. I said, what do you mean? I just told you I believe. That. He said, Rick, if you believed it's August, if you believe Christ was returning on September 11th, 12th, or 13th, you would quit your job and tell everyone you knew that Christ was coming back. And You know what? right. I said I believe that, but I didn't think hard enough about it. And for many of us this morning, do we truly believe that the God of heaven is alive and well? He is the creator of the universe. He exists. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He loves his children. He is for us, not against us. His plans are good. His ways are good. Even when I don't understand, I can trust his hands. He has a good track record. It will ultimately be for my glory, for his glory and my good. And he will faithfully reward those who are faithful. If I believe that, then I would submit to you this morning, then we should be walking with him. Pointing in the same direction, in the same pace, going to the same place. This so is what Enoch did. Ken Hughes says this about this portion of Scripture. He says, The lesson was there for the early church. And remember, this early church he's talking to about, these people had already faced persecution. They had, they had already gone through really hard battles. They, they had lost their stuff. Their friends were in jail. They really struggled through lots of these things. And so um, they had been through battles, but he understood the conflict is long and the opposition is strong. So he says... The lesson was there for the early church, riding on the restless seas and moving toward persecution, and it is here for us. We can walk with God if we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The question is, do you truly believe? My brother and sister this morning, we need to stop at the pet answers of Sunday school, that I believe, and really ask ourselves, do I truly believe? is this my faith that I lay hold on what God has said and my life changes because of it? How I walk, how I live when I go home this afternoon, and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and at work, and in my neighborhood, and my family gatherings, and it's different because I'm walking with God. This is the way, walk in it. And Christian, today, it doesn't take much light to be different. Oh my goodness, if you don't swear at work, it's like, what's wrong with you? I have to say this to the deacons all the time. Don't swear at work. right? What, what's going on with you? What's the problem with you? If you don't try to rip off the boss, if you're not the person always grumbling and gossiping in, at work or in church, something's different about you. And this is how we walk with the Lord. We believe that he exists. and He rewards those who are faithful. And then finally this morning, The the last story is that of Noah. Look at verse number 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. We see the commitment to the reality of God and the absolute character of his claims for Noah in the area of warning. This is not about blessings at all. This is about the unseen and future judgment that God has promised. And he moved with fear. And and that fear is not just terror. Fear can be terror. But there's this this reverence for God that you said this. Father, I will do this. How do we know of his faith? Because he goes and he builds a big box. And I mean a big box. 450 feet long. If you're familiar with American football, that's the size of an American football field and a half. That's big. 75 feet wide is the width of a football field. And four and a half stories is what most most barn lofts are when kids jump off of them, right? Somewhere at 40 feet, 45 feet, right? I'm still trying to figure all those numbers out. But he moves and he builds. Here's the deal. Noah was warned by God. and He moved. Friend, God has been warning this world. People say, well, how could God judge? Are you serious? How could he not? How could he not? And listen, I'm not just talking about the evil out there. It's out there. It's there. The evil's out there. I'm talking about the evil in here that runs down the center of every human heart. How could he not judge when he sees and knows everything that we feel, say, do, the motives of our own hearts, that if if, if we were to be recorded, if our hearts and minds could be recorded, that we thought no one saw, no one realized, no one saw into the recesses of our own hearts, and we put it on a screen this morning, we would be mortified for one week. Not an entire lifetime of sinning against the holy God. And God says, listen, I am holy, I am righteous, I am just, I am full of grace and mercy. But there is coming a day when my grace will be done. The most terrifying portion of all scripture is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. John says, I saw a great white throne. And on it, one who sat the heavens and earth fled away from. Not some baby in Bethlehem. Not some Jewish carpenter who spit upon and crucified. But one who sits in the heavens and earth flee from his presence and the books are opened. Whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You ever stop to really think, well, that's apocalyptic writing. Yeah, it is. The whole book of Revelation, apocalyptic. But I don't care what you think, no matter what that is, it is horrible. It's horrible. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you trusting in anything. Your goodness will not be enough on that day. It is only through Christ Noah was warned, and he moved. You better move. And listen, Christian, we, we come and we praise our, the, the songs today. I just think about death was arrested. I'm free, free forever, amen. And we glory in this, and, and we should. We have been redeemed and rescued, and we will never face the wrath of God for our sins. Never. It's covered. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we as Christians all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in our body, whether good or bad. This is not judgment for sin, but for service. We have been warned. Some of us are thinking, yeah, I'm doing well. You know, I got a new job, I got a new car, I got a good retirement. What are we doing for the kingdom? There is coming a day. Oh, this is really heavy. Stop, stop, stop. Wait a minute. If it's true, it's important and it's necessary. There's a song, and I don't know who sings it. Dan will know who sings it because he knows who sings every song. Um, but we got a rock star preacher. What if the church was a church on Monday when they're not on Sunday? It sounds like Casting Crowns. Is it? What is it? Okay, thank you. See, I knew you'd know. He knows everything, and so, um, but in the song it says, "We got a rock star preacher who won't wake us or shake us from our dream." And for too many of us, we've been dreaming. When you dream, you're not safe. It's not reality, and you're in danger. Christian, wake up. When it's all said and done, what are we doing for the kingdom? Oh, I believe. Do we believe? The warning came, and Noah moved. But not only that, and this is really important. Okay, God, I hear it. It's right. I believe this. Okay, I'm going to move. Not only did he move, but Noah had a message. 2 Peter 2 5. This is insightful. We read the Genesis account and we don't get this. This is what Peter tells us of Noah. He says, And God spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Here is Noah. God warns him. And he moves, man. He's building this ark. 120 years, this huge box. He's building. People are coming by it and mocking. Hey, Noah! You know all the jokes, how many kids of Noah does it take to build an ark? Right? All that kind of stuff going on. And he continues to build. But not only did he build, he preached. His mouth was open. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was warning. He preached by his actions, but he preached by his words. This is an area as a church, that we need to do better on. I don't know how many here are familiar, maybe this is an older group and you won't know, but with Penn and Teller. You know the name Penn and Teller? Does anyone know that? Right? The, yeah, the, the, the comedy act, the big guy, big burly guy, and the little guy who never talks, right? And they do this comedy thing and they're, they're funny and they do magic and stuff. Well, um, Peller is an atheist, a, 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 an atheist, doesn't, has no use for Christianity whatsoever. And, and it's well known. And so he did a show one day, and a guy came up to him after the show who was a believer. And the guy was a little timid. He's going, you know, his color is huge, and he's an atheist, and he's a personality. And the guy hands him, I think it was the book of Psalms, it was a Bible, but a little note inside about being concerned for his soul. I'm going to read for you what Teller said in an interview about receiving this. Knowing the guy was terrified, knowing the, and he said the guy was a good guy, but here's what he said, and, and you need to hear this. This atheist is going to preach better than most pastors. He said, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Proselytize means, this is my faith, I want to win you over to it. This atheist said, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's true. For many of us, we sit and we're, we're socially awkward and we're afraid and we're nervous and we're embarrassed. And we praise God that we have been rescued, but we never say anything to those who have not and listen, can I tell you? And you—you you might not believe this. Can I honestly? My makeup is—I don't like—I don't like crowds, I don't like people. I do like people. I love people, but I don't like them. I—I um, I would. <laughs> I said, stop talking. It's getting late. Um, I would—I would rather be left alone. I don't like this platform, but I do. Th- I don't—I don't naturally like those things. Honestly, the truth is, Kim and I both are more—we are more, we're, we're not extroverts. We are more introverts. Believe it or not, that's the truth of the matter. And I get this morning. I'm shy. I'm embarrassed. I, I could slaughter this. I don't know. Understand. But could you not hand someone a gospel tract? Or put it in someone's mailbox? Or invite them to church? Or when an opportunity happens, and they happen all the time about life and death, and problems in the world, say, you know, I have a living hope. I might not be really good at this, but I'll tell you what Jesus did for me. Brother and sister in Christ, my prayer this morning is simply this. That we are truly a people of faith. That in our worship, we see the God who is, and we worship him in spirit and truth. Not just here, but everywhere. That we understand about our walk it must please God. And by God's grace, I truly believe that you exist, that you see, that you know, that you care, that you're here, that you will give me what I need, and you will reward me for being faithful no matter what I'm facing, good, bad, or indifferent. By faith, we who have been warned and have moved, may we also have a message for those who do not know the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. Let's be people of faith, real faith. I believe. Okay, that's great. But do we truly believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church family. Lord, I I do. I love them. I'm so thankful to be part of this place. Lord, we've come to look at your word and to hear your word, and I pray now that you would stir our hearts. But I'm convicted by what's been said through the book of Hebrews so far about the faith that we say we believe. Oftentimes our lives don't match what we've said. Help us to examine our own hearts and lives. And Lord, may we this week be a people who by faith worship, who by faith walk, who by faith warn others, give them the only hope for mankind. So, Father, help us not to leave this place forgetting quickly what we've heard, to allow it to become part of our very souls and lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.